Disney and I love that clip. So, Well, welcome to The 8, everyone. We're so happy that you guys are here. I'm super excited because we are kicking off a brand new series today, a five-week series called The Prophet and King. The Prophet and King. For many of us, I intentionally chose this title because when we hear the, you know, David, the prophet and king, we become numb to hearing those words in liturgy. We, we recite plenty of psalms in our liturgical services in the ancient faith, and we kind of become numb to who this David guy is. And, and the reality is, for a lot of biblical characters, a lot of us have become numb to who they are. We feel they're very distant. We feel they're kind of, forgive me, like a fairy tale in a way. Like, I'm reading now to my two-year-old Bible stories, and like from that age to as we grow older, we have embedded in our mind, they're kind of like these, like, you know, imaginary characters. Maybe they lived a long time ago, and we feel very distant from them. But in reality, from their lives, from their struggles, from their victories, we can relate to them 100%. The tagline of the series is gifted poet, legendary leader, flawed man. Who can relate to King David for a second? Who can relate to his story? Somebody who was a blue-collar worker, somebody who was a blue-collar worker as a shepherd, went to being from, from a blue-collar worker to now being a national hero as a king. Somebody who was a king, but then he was being assaulted and attacked by the previous king, King Saul. Who can relate to being a murderer? who he was a murderer and an adulterer. He was a, a national hero, a king, an adulterer, a murderer. But through all that, God says, you know what? This man is after my own heart. The title that was given to, to David is a man after God's heart. Through his brokenness, through his regrets, through his mistakes, God says, this is a man after my heart. And even with his struggles, even with his flaws, we honor him. We honor him. We venerate him. We kiss his icon. We kiss his, like we honor him tremendously, even through his flaws and even through his mistakes. There is no other character in all of the New Testament that is referenced more. Like all the Old Testament characters, David is referenced more in the New Testament than any other character from the Old Testament. If you look at everyone that's mentioned in the New Testament, David is referred more and the New Testament than any other character coming from the Old Testament. But giving the context of the era of King David, of where he lived, so it's around the 11th century BC of where we jump into the life of David. And the culture then was extremely, extremely violent, gory beyond belief. Like, like when we, we think of violent, we think of war, we think of like war being done at a distance, you know, a sniper or a missile or whatever. We think of long distance being the, the case for war. But back then during David's time, when you go to war, you are, you are covered with blood, and you're not even sure if it's your blood or the person in front of you's blood, but you're covered with blood, and, and you're killing someone, or you're being killed, just at, you're, you can smell their breath. And this is just the culture of where David lived in, and this is how things are. And you know, for us, it's hard for us to capture these violent times. And we know through the movies like Braveheart and other movies, we kind of you know, glamorize or we kind of fictionalize you know, this era. But in reality, it's hard for us to relate. But I want to jump into one record that we have of David going into battle, a story many of us are familiar with. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. 
and assembled at Soko in Judah. Saul, who was the, the first king of Israel, and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines, who were the bad guys they're about to fight. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet in his head and wore a coat of, of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. So a lot of historical uh, historians, a lot of scholars would say that his javelin that he, that he had, just the metal spear top itself weighed 20 pounds. Just the top metal spark was 20 pounds. And, in, and, and how war was assembled back then, the Philistines would be like, they would line up in rows. So all like the normal soldiers for the Philistines would be in the front row. And then Goliath would be in the second row. He was so tall that he would just, at in battle, be able just to stab the enemy just going like this. Just because of how tall he is, he can overlook his front row of the Philistine army and just kill, kill, kill the people that were right in front of him on, on, from the other side. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The culture of this era, of the, of the 11th century BC, whenever there was a confrontation like this, where the big guy says, hey, give me one of your men, let's fight it out right now, one on one, mano a mano, let's do this. Whenever that occurred, the Israelites would always be looking for their tallest guy, their, their strongest guy, to be able to fight Goliath. And back then, historians say, the person who would fit this description of who Goliath wants to fight was the king, was the king, was King Saul, who was the first king of the nation of Israel. And, is, and, and Saul was a big guy, and actually that's one of the reasons why he was chosen as king. Because of his height, because of his strength, his physical strength, this is one of the reasons why he was chosen to be king. And everyone was looking at him, everyone was depending on him to fight Goliath. Israel put their hope in King Saul. Israel, everyone was looking for Saul. They're waiting for him to make a move. Is, is Saul about to get up? Is he about to fight Goliath? Everyone was looking for him to make a move. Here is where this story intersects with our life. This is where this historical story that many of us know from childhood, this is where this now intersects with our lives. We place our hope on what we depend on. We place our hope on what we depend on. The Israelites were putting their hope in King Saul for him to step up and say, I got you, Goliath, I'm about to beat you down. We put our hope on what we depend on, all of us. And this is when we get disappointed in certain things because we put our hope on what we depend on and we place our hope on who we depend on. We place our hope on who we depend on. Take a step back now. 
If you look at the nation of Israel, and many of us would say, yeah, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. Why? Why did God choose the nation of Israel to be his chosen people? It was intentional. It was on purpose. Not to say, oh, you're my favorites. It wasn't that. God had a design, a divine design for the nation of Israel, and he established a theocracy, which is God governing them through judges and using certain rulers, including Saul. But his intent was to, 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 to guide and inform these judges and rulers and, and guide the nation of Israel in order for them to bring light to the entire world. It was never intended to be exclusive. Like God's ultimate design was to empower the judges, empower the kings in order for them to bring the light of God to others and not just the nation of Israel. God desired for Israel to look at him as their true king. God desired for Israel to look at God being their true king. And just King Saul and any other leader, any other judge, just being the vessel, just being the icon, just being the, the channel of how God can work. But the people of Israel ended up looking at Saul as their ultimate king, instead of who Saul is intended to represent. We continue. When Samuel grew old, who was the prophet, sorry, is the prophet who's writing this record that we have. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's, Israel's leaders. But his sons did not follow his ways. So let's pause right here. So traditionally, there, there will be the prophet that would help God, be the channel in order for God to speak to his people. And traditionally, as one prophet would get old, he would appoint his offspring to be the, 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 the future prophets of, of the nation. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Though he noticed that Samuel's sons, who were intended to be the next prophets, were following other things, you know, just doing their own little thing and not, intent, not following the path of them becoming the next prophet. So all the elders of Israel, all the leaders of Israel, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, Man, Samuel, you are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. What is Israel saying? We want a king. All the other cool kids have kings. We want a king too. And the only thing they know is, they all, the only thing they're aware of is that there has to be a king for a nation. Like they were just... In, in slavery under Egypt, and they know that the Pharaoh was king. So they said, they had a king, all the other nations have a king, we want a king too, we want a king. So they're telling somebody, you need to appoint us a king because we want a king. Samuel started getting a little bit upset. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all, listen to all the people are saying to you, listen to what they're telling you. It is not you that they have rejected, Samuel, it's not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God's telling Samuel, listen, they're wanting you to appoint a, 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 a new king. They, they, want, they want a new king. And I know you're telling them that it's not about the king, that they should be looking at me, but they're not upset. Like Their anger is not towards you. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. Because my intent for Israel was not for them to be an exclusive, my favorite group. No. My intent for them is to be the channel for them to bring the light of, of me to others. That is my divine design for my chosen people. But they have lost sight of that. Israel's mission and purpose was beyond them. 
Israel's mission and purpose was beyond them. This is why from day one, when God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless every generation that comes after you. From your seed, I will bring healing. I will bring restoration to humanity through your seed. It was never intended to be an exclusive thing for the nation of Israel, but they completely lost sight of that. Because they, all they wanted was just a powerful, tall, strong king that can go kill Goliath. That's all they were focused on. Not understanding that a king is only being a representative of the true king. And right now, this sets us up for the story of David. Israel's greatest king. King David was confident and bold but at the same time, humble. He was confident in knowing his role and his purpose and his identity from his heavenly father. He understood that. But he also understood, you know what? I, don't, I can't figure it all out. And there's too many variables in this world that I cannot control. And I know I have a certain role to do. And he understood that from a young age. And he had tremendous clarity of who God was to him. And he had tremendous clarity of his identity and purpose at a very young age. The funny thing about King David, the funny thing about King David, most kings, when they were king, hated the Jewish law, hated the Jewish law, because like, they felt they were king, they, were, they had all the power, they wanted to manipulate the law of the land in order to fit their needs. Like, they're king, they're, they're, they're the dictator, they wanted to run things their own way. But what was so unique about King David is actually he loved the law of the Lord, even if it condemned him, even if it punished him, even if it judged him, he still enjoyed or he still obeyed the law. Why? Because he was seeking edification. He was seeking to be a better man. And because of that, this is what made him one of the greatest kings of all times. King David never confused him being king with the true king. He never confused him being king to the true king. Something a lot of us struggle with. Success confuses the best of us. Success confuses the best of us. We have a little bit of success in our career, success in our marriage, success in finances, success with parenting. We get a little bit of success, and then we end up sitting on our own throne. And we start losing sight of a lot of things, because now we're just living the good life of our success. Because of our success, we end up losing clarity of God working within us. And we end up losing sight of our flaws and the things that we need to improve on. What makes David so amazing and why I want us to look into him for the next five weeks is because he never struggled with this. He understood his role. He understood his strengths. He knew he was as a leader, as a man, but he also understood his flaws. He understood his weakness. And he understood that any success was just because he said yes to any role that he had and always listened to what God wants from him next. And this is what brought him success. Going back to the story. As Goliath now is bullying the Israel, Israelites, and he's bullying them. Hey, where's your man? You guys are wimps. Where's, where's the guy that's going to fight me? And, and Goliath kept on saying that. And David is starting to hear what Goliath is saying. And he's getting extremely offended on what he's hearing. But keep in mind, he's only a 15-year-old boy at this point. David asked the, man, the men standing near him. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Let's talk about Goliath. 
that he, Goliath, should defy the armies of the living God. Look now into David's clarity and his vision of what is going on. He didn't say, who is this man who's trying to want to beat up Israel? He's saying, who is this man wanting to defy my God? His, his clarity of understanding, his role of his nation, he had tremendous clarity of understanding that I am here only to bring a light to others. My nation is only here to bring a light to others. Did this man try to fight my nation? It's not just because, you know, we're pride and, 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 and we don't want them to, to fight Israel. You know, so he, he is now a threat to God himself. Goliath is a threat to God himself. The Lord who rescued me, now this is David continuing to say, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Again, look at the, look at the clarity of David. David's saying, listen, I don't know much, but all I know is I saw God working in other aspects of my life. I had tremendous clarity of seeing God giving out of other hardships that I had in my life. And because I saw him, what he did in my life and those other things, I know 100% he'll get me out of this. Look at his confidence. Look at his boldness. But he understood that it's not on him. He understood that just as, as I saw my Heavenly Father work in these other aspects of my life, I know 100% that he'll do the same now. There's no difference. It's the same God. His boldness, his confidence as a leader of understanding that and having tremendous clarity in that. Those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord have tremendous clarity. Those who hope in the Lord have tremendous clarity. Those who hope in the Lord act boldly. They don't know the questions. They don't have the answers to a lot of questions. Well, what if I do this? If I do that, I don't know what's going to happen. That's a risk. I don't... Those who hope in the Lord act boldly, even when we do not have the answers to everything. Those who hope in the Lord walk humbly. They understand, you know what? There's a lot of variables in this life. I don't know. But you know what? I need to take this step. Because my hope is not in me. My hope is not in the government. My hope is not in this or that. My hope is in the one who has the entire universe in his hand. That is where my hope lies. Those who hope in the Lord see clearly, act boldly, and walk humbly. Because they understand not everything is in their control. But it's in the control of the one who has it all in the palm of his hand. One of the best things, one of the best things that we have in our ancient faith is that we recite and we study and meditate and contemplate on the journal of this leader, of this flawed hero, David. And we know it as being the Psalms. One day you might hear David say, Lord, I love you so much and I love you working in my life. Thank you so much for everything. Another day David would say, where in the world are you? And we can relate to that. This is why his journal, which we know as the Psalms, which make up a wide variety of our prayers, is because we can relate to his weakness. We can relate to one time where you feel like God is working, the other time you're saying, where are you? And, we can re and that resonates with us. Him, being king, being king, look into what he writes in his journal. And you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. My hope it's not in my status. It's not in my success. My hope is in you all day long. L listen to what a king, the dictator, the one that has control of everything. Look at his words. 
guide me. Guide, a king saying, guide me? You're the king. You can do whatever you want. You're saying, guide me? Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. A king. He's in control of everything. For him to say, guide me. And you, I put my trust because of his tremendous clarity, because of his boldness, because of his humility. This is what made David the greatest leader of the nation of Israel. One of the things that I love that we practice in our ancient faith is every time we get ready to read the word of God, we say a short prayer. We say, Lord, make sure that we are worthy not only just to hear it passively, but make sure that we act on it. Just like as we hear this, I don't want just to hear it, I want us to act on it. Make, make us worthy not only to hear, but to act. Why? Because you, Lord, are the life of us all, the salvation of us all. You are our hope, and you are the healing of us all, and you are the resurrection of us all. That you, like I, the word that we're about to hear, it's not just distant ancient fairy tales and nice stories that we just tell our kids and we want them to go to something. It's not, it's make sure that we hear it, Make sure that we act on it. Why? Because you are our life. You are our hope. And it's in you that we put our trust in you. What made David great is because he understood his role as a king and how his role points to the true king. He understood his role points to the true king. This is what made David great. And I hope, and now we understand, have clarity of understanding the psyche and what is running through David's mind, what made him great. And we'll dive more into who he is and how he was a legendary hero, but a flawed man. And this is what made him great, and this is why we honor him and venerate him thousands of years later. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, there are so many things in David's life. There are so many things that we can relate to that resonates with us. But help us to not just look at, at, at these historical records of David's life just from a distance or just kind of go through it as if it's some type of fairy tale. But help us to hear it and help us to act on it. Because, Lord, just as you worked in David, 100% Lord, you can work within us through our weakness, through our, through our problems. But through it all, you can work through it all. But help us to have the clarity of knowing you are working in every aspect of our lives. Help us to act boldly. Help us to see clearly. Help us to understand that our hope is in you. Through the prayers of King David the prophet, the king, and all your saints, here says we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, everyone.